Testing one, two. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three, and we are a go. Everybody to another episode of the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast. It's me, Jerry. I've got Jake with me once again. We've got a lot to talk about today on the on the podcast. But before I get into that, sir, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jeremy. Uh, you know, better after a, a stressful day at work today. You already heard the story. Don't gotta get into that. Um, but a uh, happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. And uh, as the wake girls on Instagram like to say, happy uh, Cinco de Drinko. As I yes, see all the time. Oh. Yes, but, uh, happy, yeah. yeah, happy Cinco de Mayo to everybody celebrating it. Happy Cinco de Drinco to uh, all the DJ and alcoholics out there. Um, uh, happy, you know, honestly, today's a good day. Just uh, celebrate uh, Mexican heritage, uh, drink if you want as well. But uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, and I want to begin with a recap of the 2021 NFL draft that just happened. So there's a flurry of topics that I want to have us discuss between uh, starting off with the best pick overall, going on to the worst pick overall, discuss some potential hidden gems that teams may have found along with the steal of the draft, and then concluding our draft recap with who we thought had the best draft and then who we thought had the worst draft. So I'll let you start off, sir, and just who, give me who you thought was the best pick of the draft on an overall basis. Um, so I, honestly, clearly overall, Trevor Lawrence being number one, I mean, it, that to me was the best pick. Um, I mean, it goes without saying he went number one for a reason, but uh, my favorite pick of this draft was came at number five from Cincinnati with Jamar Chase. Um, I love the kid, uh, great receiver from LSU. Uh, he's relinking up with Joe Burrow, uh, got the LSU connection going on. I mean, kid is six one, 200 pounds. Um, he was fantastic for LSU. I can't to see what he does in the NFL. But for me, the steal of the draft came from the Browns. Um, Jeremiah Oso Kamora. I think I probably butchered that name, but that's all right. Um, no, you did not butcher that I'm name. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koroma or something like that. So I probably butchered it too. But, yes, uh, steal of the draft there. Um, uh, it was supposed to be a first-rounder and uh, right before draft going into, like, leading up. It was, like, a couple – probably a week or days before it reported, had a reported heart issue that popped up late in, like, the kind of the draft process with all the physicals that the teams make the players do and their medicals and everything. So – but to me, that's the steal of the draft. I mean, you get a first-rounder in the mid to second round. That is a great pickup for the Browns there. But yeah, those are my two. Those were my two favorite. My steal and my favorite pick of the draft for sure. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'll go into my steal of the draft right now too, and I'm going to agree with you there too. I, you know, coming into second round, fifty uh, second overall pick, um, I'm surprised that I, I was surprised that he was not taken in the first round. Even you know, in terms of best available players, you know, when you when you're drafting. You know, teams kind of ha- kind of go two routes. They either draft the best available at the position, or they just or they fill holes that they need. But in the first round, you kind of just draft like, "Hey, this is the best guy available. We'll take him, and then we'll ha- and then we'll put him where we need to. And then we'll put him in like a in, in our position of need." Um, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah o- Owusu Koromoa. 
he honestly felt falling to the second round kind of shocked me. But then again, you had mentioned about the uh, medical issues, especially with the heart, with the heart issue. Uh, so that made a lot of sense as to why he fell out of the second round because teams were very concerned about that. So it, I can see like why he fell, but to the second round, but the Browns, uh, the Browns actually, you know, they picked a good one. They made the steal of the draft. Um, now I'm not, I'm going to express a little biasness and disappointment in my own team. I mean, when we were we we had the Giants had the 42nd pick of the second round of the of the second round, so they had the 42nd pick, like in the second round when the second round started. They traded back to 50 from Miami, and I was like, wait, what are we doing? Like because I thought that maybe Miami wanted Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa for you know just to uh, fill a linebacker hole, but um, I. I, I can't remember who Miami picked with that pick, but like we eventually got to 50 and I'm like, hey, wait, this guy's still available. Why don't we take him? We ended up taking, uh, we ended up taking somebody from Georgia who I think is still a tremendous pick uh, because he, you know, who I think is a tremendous pick there too. You know, they're talking about how our pick at 50 could be a potential steal as well because of how far he had fallen. But uh, for Cleveland to pick up Jeremiah owusu Karamoa. Uh, at 52, you know, just a tremendous steal right there. I mean, teams are probably going to be kicking themselves uh, in eventually somewhere down the line, especially because not only because they that they passed up on a great edge rushing linebacker, uh, but also because of the team that he fell to. Cleveland, by picking by selecting this guy, they already added to a defense that needed much improvement. He'll go right into he'll go right into the defense for game for day one. And if you ask me, um, him the signing of Jadavian Clowney, they really they really made moves not just in the draft but also in free agency to improve the defense. So now we're looking to see that the Cleveland Browns become more of a complete team, but. To go off, continue to talk about the draft, for my best pick on an overall basis, I'm going to have to say it's Justin Fields. I, I, I understand where you're coming from about Trevor Lawrence being the best pick because he was number one overall, but he's going to a Jaguars team that needs a lot of help. They have a, they have a rookie head coach in the NFL Yes, Urban Meyer has been in the game of football for many years, but this is his first gig as an NFL head coach. And there's still a few holes that Jacksonville needs to fill. But, but Chicago, I think, took the second-best quarterback in the draft. I don't care that Trey Lance uh, and Zach Wilson were drafted before, before Justin Fields. Justin Fields was the second-best quarterback coming into the draft, in my opinion. Um, Chicago finally got a court, the quarterback that they needed after screwing up a few years ago when they took Mitch Trubisky instead of taking Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, uh, especially not take, especially passing up on Patrick Mahomes. Look at how well he's been doing in Kansas City. And Mitchell Trubisky is now the backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. But Chicago finally got it right. Bears fans are happy, but their people were praising. Uh, Matt Nagy uh, for this selection, as well as upper management of the Bears. Don't praise them. They're a bunch of fucking idiots. They, <laughs> they, they, need, they needed to make this pick because 
if they didn't draft a quarterback, honestly, you were going to have Andy Dalton start week one. And Bears fans, well, uh, they wouldn't have been happy. They weren't going to be happy about that at all. I mean, but, yeah, as soon as, as soon as you saw that trade up off on the Bears, which I love the move for them to trade up for Justin Fields. Um, I I love that pick up there. It's finally good on the Bears, finally making a smart pick there. You, from the looks of it, you got your franchise quarterback. Um, I'm still one of those guys that is skeptical about Ohio State quarterbacks in the NFL because they're never really pan out as well as most people would like. I mean, you've seen it throughout the years with plenty of Ohio State quarterbacks, but good on the Bears for actually being smart and taking Justin Fields. Um, thankfully, they didn't trade up and excuse me thankfully they didn't trade up and not pick a quarterback i mean i just good on them really i mean mean, honestly the trade worked well for both the the team for the team that traded up and for the team that traded down if you ask me the giants traded they traded the pick uh, from the they got the pick from the giants who who got uh, ended up taking the 20th pick from them and they also ended up taking two more picks from the, three more picks from the bears as well uh i'm just uh, happy they didn't pick mac jones i think well, mac jones I, I don't even know if the kid should have been a first rounder in my opinion i mean he's got a very one-dimensional game so i'm just happy they didn't pick mac jones i mean good i guess mac jones is going to fit that new england play style because i mean Bill Belichick, I mean, he moves his game around so much. He can do anything at any moment. Um, Great coach, but I just think Mac Jones, I don't know if he's an NFL caliber quarterback not or not yet. I mean, you, he played in this Alabama team who was, I mean, clearly Alabama was always unreal, but I'm just not 100% sold on Mac Jones yet. So I'm happy that the Bears actually took, excuse me, I'm happy that they took Justin, Justin Fields. Fields. Sorry, I, zoning out here for a second but yeah happy they took them i'm happy they kept justin fields out of the afc east that is for sure um the bills have uh two of the i would say we have two of the top three quarterbacks now in the afc east in my opinion yeah i mean i i mean i the the talk was was that maybe the patriots would trade up to uh 10 and switch with the Cowboys to try and take fields. But uh, it ended up being the Eagles taking uh, the 10th pick from the Cowboys and where they selected Devontae Smith. Uh, so that's why the Giants traded back because they knew that they that they could get a wide receiver that they wanted mm-hmm. uh, later in the first round, and the, and they knew the Bears needed a quarterback. So, I mean, you know, we're, I'm not saying that, like, this is what happens in the war rooms or anything, but, like, you know, they kind of just, like, speculate uh, more along the lines of, like, hey, we have, like, we know what you want. Here's what we want in return. So it turned out to be a good trade on both ends uh, for that. Uh, the Giants took some draft capital from the Bears. The Bears got their quarterback. That's why I think uh, it was the best pick overall. They have their quarterback for the next few years. Now just build around him and see like what the and see what the Chicago Bears can do on the offensive side of the ball, uh, especially uh, especially maybe because of what will happen with Aaron Rodgers. But uh, that's another conversation for another day, sir. I now want to go into who I thought was the worst pick overall in the draft, and I will say that I thought the worst pick in the draft was. Nashawn Wright, the cornerback out of Oregon State, who was taken 99th overall in the third round to the Cowboys. And 
as much as I don't want to go into the Cowboys too much, I don't want to go into the Cowboys too much because I don't need this to become like ESPN or Fox or Fox Sports One, where they are the Dallas Cowboys uh, media network twenty four seven. But I I think that the Cowboys pretty much whiffed on this pick mainly because I know that they try they tried to fill defensive holes on their defense, be uh, the whole defensive holes on their team because of how historically bad they, their defense has been over the past few seasons. But this pick honestly just made no sense to me. Everybody was talking about how Nation Wright was going to be like a seventh rounder, maybe even an undrafted free agent. But then Jerry Jones just comes out of nowhere and says, hey, we'll take you. Uh, we don't care what the, we don't care what Mel Kuyper Jr. says. We don't care what Tommy <laughs> Chase says. We don't care what Daniel Jeremiah says. We're going to take you. It's We're Jerry's gonna- world. We're just living in it. Exactly. It's just, it's Jerry's world. We're, we're just living in it. Jerry Jones completely whiffed on this pick. I, I mean, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Everybody, all the listeners know I am not a Cowboys fan. Um, so I'm glad that they whiffed on this pick, honestly, but in terms of just, you know, overall neutral fan like sense here, they, they completely botched this one. I, I, it made no sense to me. It didn't make any sense to uh, any of the experts either. Um, but, hey, who knows? Maybe, maybe Jerry Jones knows something that we don't. But uh, who do you think was the worst, over, worst pick in the draft on an overall basis? I was actually going to agree with you, but since you took him, I have a second person in mind. Uh, went number 17 to the Raiders, Alex Leatherwood. Oh, I boy. think that was an absolute complete miss by the Raiders. I mean, he was projected to be a second or like a early to mid second rounder, which still isn't bad, but to take him at number 17, I mean, the tackle, I mean, he, he was all right in pass protection this past year for Alabama. I mean, wasn't terrible, but I mean, you could have waited. You could have got you. Honestly, they probably could have got him because they were, the Raiders had the 43rd pick. They probably still could have got Alex Hollywood sitting there. So I'm not sure what they were thinking there. In my opinion, I thought that was a complete miss, especially for a first-round pick. Um, I think every other first-round pick kind of made sense for most other teams. But when I saw Alex Hollywood's name come up already, I was kind of in shock. But then again, um, with the Raiders and Groot and everything, it kind of doesn't surprise me that they kind of whiffed on this pick. Um, I think most people kind of feel the way I do. I mean, you, they really could have got him in with their second-round pick. Sitting at 43, I think he honestly still would have been on the board. If they oh. were worried about it, they could have even moved up some spots because they had the oh. 79th and 80. so why don't you trade one of those in the third round, move up just four spots if you're actually worried about getting the kid. Oh, yeah, no, without a doubt, because uh, from what I was from what I was seeing and reading, I mean, I completely agree with you there. Uh, he would have been available in the second round. Um, uh, and the thing is, though, is like, you know, I saw a couple I saw a couple points being made about like their second round pick, how they could have taken him in the first round. They could have mm-hmm. just done a flip flop like it would have made much more sense if they did if they took their first, second round pick in the first round and if they took Leverwood in the second round, because that's a, because just based on like what they saw in Leverwood, what they saw there as a second round projection in terms of where the Raiders actually took them with their pick. Uh, but then again, you know. Mike Mayock, Mike Mayock uh, John Gruden, really not good at drafting, honestly. Gruden, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going on in Vegas, half the, what's going on in Vegas, or even like when they were still in Oakland drafting. Uh, I don't know what goes on in the Raiders draft room. But, um, uh, I mean, if it's if you got some of the good, good, pass it along. Right, maybe 
I mean, maybe they thought it was funny. Maybe they had some bets down on that leather would, would go in the draft, you know, being out there in Las Vegas. Maybe they had some money on them going in the first round, so they had to make sure they won their money back. But, I mean, fuck, I mean, like you said, they, they really could have flip-flopped their first and second rounder. So, I guess in the long run it really doesn't matter. But just kind of looking back at this pick, it's kind of stupid. Um, I mean, that's really high for him. I Like, when I saw it, I was still – I was just shocked. Oh, yeah. No, without a doubt. It left me – when I saw me and my buddy text each other right away, we're like, there's no way he just went in the first round. We thought it was a joke or maybe like a misprint, but no. That's the Raiders, baby. Yeah, it, it is the Raiders. It is the Raiders. But uh, going off of the worst pick, I think we both kind of – you know, we both see like where we're coming from on that point. But I wanted to go into some hidden gems of the draft, honestly. Uh, just to, you know, see like, you know, some picks that were under the radar but could turn out to be steals but not quite the steal of the draft like how we think Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa will be for the Browns. And I want to start with talking about Jabril Cox, the LSU linebacker that was taken 115th overall in the fourth round to the Dallas Cowboys. Now, while I talk about how the Cowboys, just to reiterate, the Cowboys used a lot of their picks in the draft to fill holes on the defensive side of the ball because, well, their defense is historically awful. It's just been that way for the past few seasons. And while they whiffed on, uh, on their third-round pick with Nashawn, Nashawn Wright, they hit a, They made a slam dunk with this pick. I mean, Jabril Cox, honest, Jabril Cox honestly, his athleticism and with the him and Micah Parsons, their first round pick that they took, I feel like that the that linebacker tandem adds just so much athleticism and versatility to what they have in terms of just pa- overall pass rushing. And it seems like that they won't even miss Sean Lee uh, due to his due to the retirement uh, that he announced due to the retirement of Sean Lee. I mean, Sean Lee announced his retirement like a week before the draft. Uh, so the Cowboys obviously had to fill a hole at linebacker uh, Leighton Vanderash. Uh, he's kind of, he, he's kind of injury prone too. So you gotta, re- so you gotta be, you gotta have a replacement for him as well. You also just have to start building up a young core of defense of the of defensive players as well. Um, so, I mean, that is a wonderful pick there in my honest opinion, because just because of the versatility and athleticism of Cox, um, another hidden gem I want to talk about is Bobby Brown, the third, the defensive lineman from Texas A&M. He went in the fourth round at 117 to the Los Angeles Rams. And this could be a, this could be one of the, this could honestly be a theft, honestly. Um, one of the top steals in my opinion, um, the kid's going to be learning under Aaron Donald uh, for the next few for the next few years, and Aaron Donald is one of the best defensive players in the league right now, if not the best defensive player in the league. Uh, but he's certainly a top three for sure, and that's if you can ask any football fan, uh, anyone that follows the National Football League, they'll t- any, they'll tell you that Aaron Donald is top three. If they if they don't, they're not in their right mind. So well, Bobby Brown, top one. I mean, any which way, any which way, if Aaron Donald is not in the top one or your top three, 
you're not in your right mind and you don't know a thing about the National right. Football League. But uh, Bobby Brown the third, he's going to be learning under Aaron Donald. So, And the Rams' defense is just stellar anyway, so he'll fit right into their scheme. He'll fit right into their defensive scheme r- right away. He, he's going to learn under Donald. He will be a stud down the line for the Rams for years to come. So that great pick by them. Another one I want to talk about is Storm Forsyth, an offensive lineman from Florida. He was taken in the sixth round at 208 to the Seattle Seahawks, and he, he's a big boy. He is a big offensive tackle that will just fit right into the Seattle Seahawks offensive line, and he will protect Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson got beat up badly throughout the season. The offensive line was criticized left and right because of how bad they, how bad they were. Uh, the offensive line pretty much did not protect Russell Wilson at all. Uh, just getting hit repeatedly, getting sacked numerous times. I mean, how many you know Seahawks fa- Seahawks fans had to have loved this pick honestly because you're just gonna put somebody in there that will just go right into the opening, pretty much the week one line week one you know starting offensive line right there honestly, uh, depending on how things in training camp go but uh storm Forsyth, big boy good pick by the seahawks gonna protect russell wilson for years to come if you in, in my opinion depending on how things go honestly but uh my last one i want to talk about is carlos basham jr an edge rusher from wake forest he was taken in the second round at 61 to your buffalo bills my good friend and honestly, I think he was a better pick than Gregory Rousseau, uh, in my honest opinion, just because of the explosiveness, the uh, versatility, the agility. Um, I know that the numbers, uh, I know that the numbers um, uh, weren't there exactly compared to Rousseau, but Carlos Basham Jr. He's going to be taking snaps away from some key starters and from some key veterans on the team. I mean, both Rousseau and Basham will, honestly, because, yeah. because Brandon, Bean, uh, Brandon Bean going pass rush, uh, going pass rush with, their fir- with the first two picks on the Bills smart, is a smart move, I mean, honestly. I mean, because- he saw what we needed. I mean, it, I think everyone in Buffalo kind of expected we were going to go edge rusher. Um, I wasn't really thinking two in a row, but I love the Basham pick. But uh, Gregory Rousseau, I mean, that pick at number one was just based on his intangibles that he brings to the game. I mean, he is just long, lanky. He is huge. I mean, back in 2019, he was second in the nation in sacks, only behind Chase Young. People forget that. I mean, he opted out the 2020 season, but Gregory Rousseau was a monster. Carlos Basham was an unreal pick. I mean, he's 6'5", 285, just a big, big boy. I have nothing wrong to say about those picks. I mean, like you said, this past season, he only had five sacks, but, I mean, still played. I thought it was a remarkable season, especially getting him in the second rounder. I loved that pick a lot. have no complaints there. I think he will end up being a stud. But for me, my my steal, not steal the draft, but kind of hidden gem, that's another name I'm going to butcher. I, I just kind of want to pronounce his two middle names. It's easier. Charles right. Charles David, the kid from the kid from Syracuse. I have no idea how to pronounce his name. I I feet to Try to pronounce it. Try to pronounce it. Sound it out. I feet to Okay. I butchered that, but I mean the kid played played for Syracuse. The kid is 6'2", 213. That is a big cornerback. 
Who did he go to? Who 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 took him? Detroit. Detroit. Oh, okay. Wow, the Lions actually uh, late, uh the Lions actually made some competent picks yeah. for once. He took him at uh the 101st pick. I mean, he like he could really get up and bully receivers. I mean, you really didn't see that a lot in cues, but how often do you get a corner with those physical attributes? Not oh, often. No. And I think if he gets in with this new coaching staff that the Lions are bringing in, um, I hope it works out for him. I mean, he has great speed. He has a long wingspan. Um, he can transition in and out so fast, for especially for his size. I think he's going to be a great cornerback. Uh, one day for the Lions. I don't know. He, he probably won't start right away, I would assume. But, uh, I mean, I love that pick. Another hidden gem for me, um, I mean, I'm going to go back to the Bills here, but Spencer Brown, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa University. I mean, the kid is 6'8", 290 pounds, just an absolute animal. Um, that is a pick I don't think – I think the Bills fan – I mean, did you see the pit, the video he posted on – a? Oh yeah, he's a he's an official member of Bills Mafia, and that table did not stand a chance against that big boy. Let me tell you, you know, um, uh, cue the inner Jim Ross of me. Oh God, that table had a family. <laughs> no, he definitely already won the hearts and mind of Bills fans. Um, and clearly didn't play 2020 season, but I mean, his first in 2018, 2019 had some great numbers, especially 2019. His numbers really increased from year one. But, uh, no, I love the pick. I have no complaints there. Those were my really two steals. I mean, you kind of – you really took the mojo there for me. I mean, me and you kind of think the same. But uh, there was one more, uh, the linebacker, uh, Cowboys. So, I don't remember if you said them or not, but Jabril Cox, did you mention I did him? mention Jabril okay, Cox that's what right I, there. That's yes. what I thought. I wanted to make sure. I had him written down, so I wanted to make sure. But, yeah, those were – Really, my yeah. three steals of the, not steals the hidden gems of the draft for me. Yeah, I mean, I we have we pretty much had the same point with the hidden gems. Uh, we kind we agreed for we agreed for the most, but we agreed with the steal of the draft with Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa. Um, uh, and I mean, honestly, I mean, I you know, you had mentioned this earlier about like how you know it was tough to judge the talent in the draft because of some players opted out of the 2020 season, so they had to go off of 2019 stats and whatnot. But on an overall basis, I mean, I feel like that a good amount of the teams in the league had a had 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 above average drafts i feel like a, a good amount of teams uh, filled holes that they needed i feel like they got the best players available to them for their team that would fit into their system and going into that i want to talk about who we thought had the best draft and i don't want to try to be biased here because in my opinion both our team both of our teams had the really good drafts the bills took players that they felt would fit their system, the culture and the culture of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, um, with the Bills, sorry to interrupt you there, but I just want to get this in your effect. I mean, with this draft, we weren't really drafting most of these players to start right away. Um, Even Sean McDermott and uh, Brandon Bean Bull said they're drafting for the future with this draft. I mean, and the future looks bright with all of these kids. I mean, did you happen to see, I mean, I think we have definitely the best name player in the draft. Oh, Rashad Wild Goose, <laughs> and 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 make it even better. He's wearing number thirty-two, like the old Jay Simpson. And all oh, I God. saw going around was the OJ in the white Bronco chase and saying it's a Wild Goose chase. 
Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Okay, we're gonna stop on that one. We're not gonna try and get canceled after episode four. Although episode three, we almost got I feel like we could have gotten canceled there, but we're not trying to get canceled here. But that is hilarious. That is hilarious. Oh god. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. But yes, the Bills had a wonderful draft drafting for the future. Um uh the New York Giants, I think they had a wonderful draft as well. Um, with their acquisition, with their acquisitions, um, uh, building for the future, building for now, it was a combination of both. They also got some good draft capital for the 2022 pick uh, draft as well. When they traded down uh, with the Bears and the Dolphins, they got they got a couple picks from the Bears. They got a pick from the Dolphins. Um, the only thing that kind of upset me was that they didn't draft any offensive linemen to try and fill those gaps and those holes. But Dave Gettleman came out and said that they're not going to take that they're not going to waste a pick on who they think on who they felt wouldn't help and impact the team in a positive manner. But uh, I, in terms of who I had thought had the best draft, without being biased, I personally think it was the Cleveland Browns. Oh, fuck off! I was going to say that too. Now I got to go pick a new one. No, 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 no. <laughs> we can agree there. We can oh, agree yeah, there. The Browns definitely had. I mean. The Browns' front office is so sorry. I mean, especially they're in the AFC, but I don't care. Um, they have one of the best front offices in the league now. They have made such smart moves in this draft, especially just their first-round pick in the Dragon Newsom. I mean, they attack one of the most valuable positions in the NFL right now, a cornerback. I mean, that was a great overall pick. And then just everyone they took just seemed like a phenomenal pick for what they needed. The Browns, like you said earlier, they're kind of – they're not great at the defensive end of the ball, but I don't think they're terrible either. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Without a doubt there. I mean, with drafting Newsom, Owusu Kormoa, and then even – and then, like I said, also the moves that they made in free agency. I'm not going to mention all those because, like, you know, we're talking about the draft here. But with the, with the moves that they made on the defensive side of the ball in the draft – they, they started to fill those final defensive needs uh, to the point where they can eventually become dominant. And if not dominant right away, so to say, I, I'm talking about having a dominant defense like a, in, in like a year or t- in like a season or two, and then hopefully just try and keep the core of that defense together for the most part. They also because... got a steal as well, actually. We could have thrown another guy. Tommy, uh, Tommy Gioia from Ohio State. Oh yeah, Tommy to- Toji or yeah, however Tommy Toji from Ohio State. Yes, a defense, the defensive tackle that they took. Another per- another person on the defensive side of the ball probably won't start right away, honestly. But I mean, he'll get some snap. He'll get snaps in there. Um, uh, I mean, he was snap- supposed to be a day two pick and fell on day three. I mean, exactly, exactly. That's a great pick there by the way. Like, yeah, it's hard not to pick them as probably one of the had the best drafts. Um, the Patriots, in my opinion. Fucking hate to say this, but they drafted very well as well. I mean, I like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the Mac Jones pick, but I mean, they kind of hit everything they need. They went, they went ha- uh, heavy on the uh, defensive side of the ball for this draft for sure. But well, um, yeah, I mean, they're still they were still filling holes from uh, players that opted out, players retiring, uh, players that they lost in free agency. So they obviously had to fill holes on the defensive side of the ball there. Um, uh, and then Mac Jones, and then with Mac Jones, I mean, they have their quarterback for the future for the most part. I mean, it all depends on what happens with Cam Newton this season. 
Um, and with that offense there, yep. I mean, this is probably going to be Cam's final se- uh, final season in New England. Um, and will he la- will he play a full season? It all depends on what New England's record will be um, uh, as the season progresses. But he'll definitely be we- the starter week one for sure. Oh, I think yeah. Mac Jones is going to learn behind him, which I mean, I don't hate for the kid. Like like I said, I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of the kid. Um, very one dimensional, can't run outside, but maybe that can grow into his game. Exactly. Especially behind Cam Newton, one of the best in his prime, he was one of the best quarterbacks to get outside the pocket and make plays. Exactly. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not I wasn't huge on Mac Jones either because everybody thought that he was gonna go to the Niners at three. But the thing is, though, is I, as much as taking Trey Lance was a good pick in, in terms of either him or Mac Jones, them passing on fields was kind of stupid, if you ask me. But- uh, I think Trey Lance um, – I'll just go to him for a second, actually. Um, I think Trey Lance brings all the intangibles you want in a quarterback. He's got the arm power. He's got the height. He's got the speed. He can make plays. He is a very dynamic quarterback, and that's why I think he went over Justin Fields. I mean, the kid – Clearly, it was basically like Josh Allen coming out of college. We were like, who has he played? He's going to be a bust in the NFL, yada, yada, this, yada, yada, that. Then they're done there with Josh Allen already. Three years later, he was in the MVP contention. Now let's see Trey Lance do that. I love the pick by the 49ers for Trey Lance. I Honestly, in my opinion, he could be the best quarterback in this draft. 100%. He could easily pan out to be the number one quarterback in this draft. I mean, he's clearly that 49ers team is going to be healthy this year. Um, they're going to have that defense back. They, I think they have a great offense. So, I mean, this team is going to be good. This kid clearly might probably will play right away. Um, maybe, maybe not. But I think he's going to be a stud. Kid is going to be phenomenal. And I'm excited to see what he brings to that team. But sorry for going off on that little tangent there. But I just hate seeing people talk bad about Trey Lance. I love the kid. He's going to be a stud. No. Oh, I, I I don't think he's a bad. I don't think he's gonna be a bad quarterback either. But I personally, I, I you know, it kind of just upset me that they really didn't talk about Justin Fields going to the Niners. It was always down to Trey Lance or Mac Jones. And I'm glad that they didn't take Mac Jones and I that they took Trey Lance. I think that he will be a wonderful quarterback in San Francisco for years to come too. I think they found their quarterback. Uh, the Jimmy G experiment is pretty much done and over with because yeah. of uh, his injuries. But um, uh, did you that, when, when the sorry sorry one more thing when the 49ers traded up did you think right away it was going to be Trey Lance or no? I had no clue. I did. I honestly, me, I had no clue. Yeah, me and Marty you both as soon as they traded up we both said it's going to be Trey Lance. I had I, I knew there was no way Mac Jones was going to that team, especially with how Kyle Shanahan runs that team. Um, he likes that fast paced offense, and Mac Jones did not just not just fit his style. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I can see exactly like where you're coming from there. But uh, go to uh, con- but to conclude our draft recap our quick draft recap here. Um, uh, who do you think had the worst draft? That's the last that's the last topic of the draft recap. Who do you think had the worst draft? Uh, for me, I mean, we've talked shit about this team before. We've talked shit about this front office, but I think the Houston Texans drafted terrible this year. Oh, they, I mean, it, I mean, it's hard when they only had they only had what six picks, five maybe. Five, they had five, five, picks. five or six picks, yeah. And I, I just mean, think that they had the worst drafts. I mean, it, it's hard when they literally threw all their picks away to people. But I think they had the worst draft. Uh, I mean, I think that even the Seahawks drafted better, and they only had three picks. 
Yeah, uh, the Seahawks only have three picks, and they definitely drafted better than the Texans, especially with filling holes that they needed. Like I said, like I said, you know, talking about Storm Forsythe uh, from uh, Florida, um, uh, you know, great pick there, uh, and and he was taken in the sixth round, one of Seattle's only three picks in the sixth round. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Houston had an awful draft. Um, I don't think they. I believe that they do have the had the worst draft. They had five picks, six picks. When quarterback, um, uh, the first they, need, they need they needed they need a lot of help. I mean, they need a lot of help on both sides of the ball. They don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be, but that's in our conversation for another day too. But um, uh, I've you know some of the picks just made no sense. Another team that I thought didn't really have a good draft was the Raiders, and it, and it just doesn't go into like you know how their first and second round picks should have been flip flopped. They just run really safety. They went safety crazy. They took they took like they took a good they took too many safeties in my opinion. I mean I understand that like I understand that. The Raiders needed help in their secondary because their secondary is one of the worst in the National Football League. But they they went too safety crazy, in my opinion. And then also just uh, you know not picking. I mean, I'm glad that they got the players that they wanted and with their first and second round picks. But they didn't need to take them where they could. It could have been a flip flop. I mean, maybe Gruden maybe Gruden was all coked up during draft night and saw safety and thought it was a safe pick. Who knows. (laughs) Maybe that's what was going through his head. He says, oh, safe? Yeah, that's a safe one right there. <laughs> that's a safe one right there. Yeah, exactly. Here you go. Yep, you're the type Dude of player that I Yeah, that was, I, I agree with you there. Those those were probably my top two for not not my favorite drafts. I mean, like we said, though, it was tough to it was tough to see the talent coming out, but so many teams had better drafts, and they both these teams could have did better. I mean, oh. they're both – Shit organizations anyway, so it, it really shouldn't surprise you that they drafted shitty. It, exactly. You, you draft, you draft as well as your offices, and if your office is shit, you're gonna have incompetence throughout the organization, exactly. and it's just gonna lead to incompetent decisions uh, left and right, and uh, that's a where effect. exactly. And that's where it goes to show that Cleveland is not the shit organization they once were. They finally have some smart people in the front office, and it goes to show with the decisions they've been making in the draft and also in other off-season moves as well. And the same thing could be said about our teams as well. Uh, Buffalo has definitely turned the corner with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Uh, we've talked about that many times before. And even the New York Giants look on the, look like they're turning a, turning a new corner as well. Um, uh, uh, Trader, especially with Trader Dave trading down twice in the same draft, <laughs> the man never traded down <laughs> until until 2021, and everybody's just like, "Wait, what the fuck?" And I was like, "Wait, what the fuck too?" And I and I wasn't like, "What the fuck?" I I knew that we were gonna eventually trade. I I, I knew we were trading the pick once we didn't get Devonte Smith, Devante Smith, because we I knew that we were gonna try and take a wide receiver in the first round because that's what Joe judge had wanted. But when we traded down again, that's when I'm like, wait, what the fuck are we, am I watching here? But um, uh, I mean that I, you know, overall the draft, like every team, almost every team, except the two teams that we'd mentioned, the Texans and Raiders uh, had an above average draft for the most part. Um, Cleveland had the best draft. If you ask me, especially stealing somebody like Jeremiah, Oh, Jeremiah, Owusu. Owusu Koromoa. Spit it out. Um, uh, 
Shut up. <laughs> you couldn't pronounce the kid from Syracuse for fuck's sake. Are you trying to pronounce the name? <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to. But, uh, but um, uh, you know, I we we pretty much see the same. We pretty much had the same opinions on uh, on everything here for the most part because it was pretty straightforward. But uh, I mean, I don't have any other thoughts on the draft. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on the draft before uh, we go into our next topic, sir? Um, no. After the draft, I'm just ready to kick off the 2021-22 NFL season. It'll be interesting for sure. Um, maybe, hopefully, you guys can actually do something in the NFC East now. But uh, the NFC East is always exciting, no matter how shit it is. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it exciting. Just say it, it's more interesting <laughs> to say the least. But I'm ready. Kick off the NFL season. Ready? Let's fucking go. Let's skip through summer. Um. Just kidding, can't do that. I have too much golf to play, but uh, no, I'm ready to get the season started. It'll be fun. Um, go Bills, baby. We're going to the Super Bowl this year. You heard it first. <laughs> go Giants. We're taking the East. I'm not going Super Bowl just yet. We're taking the East, though. Take back the East. But uh, we'll, we'll move into our next topic now. And I just want to talk about, uh, and I want to talk about quickly about a fan protest that happened over in England last Sunday before the English Premier League match between Manchester United and Liverpool. Uh, long story short, Manchester United fans have had it with their owners. They have never liked their owners. Uh, the Glazer family, based out of Tampa, Florida, originally from Rochester, New York, by the way. So uh, Rochester businessmen have been ruining sports for years. Uh, I can't mention the other one, Rochester businessman, because... I don't want to get fired from my job, but the Glazer family, they don't know a damn thing about English football. Um, Man United fans have been pissed at them uh, since they took over the club in 2005. Uh, tensions escalated over the years, uh, obviously because of, you know, lack of, lack, lack of competence, lack of interest shown. Um, and then with the whole European Super League drama, it just escalated to a new height. Uh, they Man United fans in England planned this protest to be before the game, and it got out of hand. Um, fans ended up storming Old Trafford. They got onto the pitch. They were destroying things. Uh, they got they were destroying things going into the stands. They were lighting flares. Um, uh, the police had to get involved, and the game ended up having to get postponed. And it will now happen on Thursday, May 13th. But overall, I mean, the reaction to it as it unfolded, like I didn't I had no idea that the that the protest was as bad as it was because I was driving to Syracuse actually to go to go to a soccer bar and watch the game with a couple of my friends. And as soon as I got into Syracuse, I found that the game was delayed. And that's when I found out everything that had happened. Um, and it actually took me a while to realize what was going on, too, because, because nothing was being said on social media about it because of a boycott that uh, English football was partaking in on, against social media because of because of what was going because of how social media companies were not tackling 
issues with racism and how players in English football get racially abused and how so and but that's a, but so I so I understand like what was going on there but with that with that boycott and I so and I support the boycott because social media companies uh, they could do a better job uh, with getting these internet clowns and trolls and racists off of the social media. But um, it was just hard to find out what was actually going on in terms of the game and, and how the protests were. But before I go into it anymore, your take on everything, sir. Well, like you said, your fans have wanted them out for a long time. And ever since the Super League outbreak, I mean, it was bound to happen. It clearly did get out of hand, seeing as the game was canceled or postponed, excuse me. Um at some point, I mean, it's hard because we're not from England. So, I mean, me and you can kind of understand how loyal they are, but these fans are loyal to a T to their clubs. And as soon as that Super League news broke, clearly we saw how the, the football world reacted. And now this is just like like another trickle-down effect. I mean, it was bound to happen, and they want the Glazers out. So they have to show it somehow. I, I doubt that the Glazers do anything about it. Um, clearly knowing who they are, not knowing personally, but knowing the kind of people they are. Um, but it, it doesn't surprise me in the least that it happened. I'm sure you probably feel the same way that like it was bound to happen, but it did get out of hand clearly. Um, I mean, it's just a tough scene, especially that's a tough look to be the owners of Manchester United right now to let this happen. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, and you know, I'm uh... We and we had talked about we had talked about this before we started recording the podcast and everything. And I told you that I would keep my rant to a minimum, and I'm going to keep my rant to a minimum because we have much, much more to talk about on this podcast. But the Glazers are fucking twats. They do not give a shit about Manchester United at all. They only care about owning the brand of Manchester United. Um, over the years that I have watched and followed the club not just on TV, but also on social channels and, uh, and various other platforms as well. I, lear- I got to learn more and more about the history of the club, what the club stands for, what the fans stand for. And it goes back to what Gary Neville had said about the club when, ta- when talks of the Super League were happening only a few weeks ago. Manchester United was founded, you know, it was a, people, it was a club for the people. They, it was a club founded by working men. Um, it was a club that believed in giving, you know, it, you know, it was a club that had principles and morals and the, the Glazers don't understand any of that. So they don't understand the importance of how much the importance of the club, not just to fans itself, but also to English football and even to the England as a country. Um, so the protest I am fine with. I'm not fine with the game getting postponed, but that's more of a personal level there. I went. And you drove out the Syracuse. I, I'm I, pretty pissed off too. I drove out the I, Syracuse. I told. Uh, I was talking to you. I was texting uh-huh. you, and I'm like, oh, "Fucking game got postponed." So I'm actually, the day after the game, actually, I was out with my dad, and uh, he goes to me. He goes, "Well, I have two thoughts on this. One, you guys, should, you know, Liverpool should have been awarded the three points for the postponement. <laughs> Fuck United." Uh, we should have got the three points, put us back to get in the Champions League running for next year. But uh, no, so my dad, where I was uh, golfing with him on Monday, and he goes, "Well, that fucking sucks." That Liverpool tied yesterday. I was like, "What do you mean we tied yesterday?" I was like, "We didn't have a game." He goes, 
because I got the notification it was zero zero. I said, I said, no, the game was postponed. I said, um, Manchester United supporters, they stormed the field and had a protest. He goes, oh, shit, I didn't know that. <laughs> Good old Dave. I miss Dave. I miss, uh, <laughs> I miss Dave. Good old Dave. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that just goes to show that. Well, yeah, I mean, like, here, here's the thing. Like, here in America, we're not going to publicize about it as much as they are in England. And at the same time, too, it goes back to the boycott that English that English football had and mm-hmm. Sky Sports had on social media to tackle issues regard issues regarding racism. So many social media, so all these social channels, you couldn't. There were not a lot of social channels talking about this. Um, I had only found out about what was going on when I eventually got to the to uh, the beer garden in uh, Syracuse, and I saw it on NBCSN and. They were taught, and their poor soccer coverage of this, in my opinion, they were comparing it to what had happened in the Capitol on January sixth, and that kind of that kind of uh, that kind of annoyed me there. But I don't want to go much too much into that because that's political. And hey, we're not a politi- we're not a political uh, podcast. We're not a political podcast. We're not uh, we're not Ben Shapiro and uh, and uh, whoever the Democrats have. We're not those people. Um, uh, but uh, it kind of that kind of annoyed me. I was seeing the, the struggle. Uh, I was seeing a, a, a flare actually was tossed like up towards um, uh, the gantry, as they call it, um, uh, like the present the presentation the presenters' gantry for Sky Sports, yeah. where uh, Roy Keane and they had they had a great crew out there. They had Roy Keane, Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, Graham Souness, and Michael Richards there, and they were all talking. They were previewing the game. They were sure going to mind if Souness got hit. <laughs> Graham, this is where my second point comes in, actually. Graham Souness is a fucking twat. He's an old twat. He's he's always been a twat. He's a Liverpool legend. He's still a twat to me. Yeah, well, he first off, Graham Souness condemned. First off, Graham Souness doesn't know what he's talking about. He blamed it on Paul Pogba, didn't he? Well, no, he did not talk about Pogba. Yeah, if he blamed Paul Pogba for that, he should have got fired. But um, he's. But let me let me go on. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. I was having a little. Yo, you're there. good. You're good. Let me go on for a minute here. Paul, Graham Souness is a fucking twat that lost the plot. Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, Roy Keane, and Micah Richards were all in support of the protest. And Micah Richards has no connections to Man United as at, at all. In fact, Micah Richards has more connections to Man City because of his playing days there. Mm-hmm. And Jamie Carragher is a Liverpool legend. But Carragher. But all of them understanding the traditions of English football, they understand what Manchester United is in terms of its roots and like where the club comes from and also what the fans stand for. They supported it. Then you have Graham Souness. Oh, they're not they're they're not the top dogs anymore. That's why they're protesting under the Glazers. Like, shut the fuck up. I mean, you like, think he would understand being from the older generation, seeing where football came up from and how it started to where it is now, you would think he would have more of a connection and be realizing that, oh, okay, this is like, it's good that it's happening, but no, of course, he's a fucking idiot, like you said, and he just doesn't understand. He just, this man lives in a world of his own, I'm convinced. Oh, I'm um, convinced that he, I'm convinced that he gets, I'm, I'm convinced he gets the same news as the conspiracy theorists do. They he, all have the same news source. I'm convinced. He's, he's a man who thinks his shit doesn't smell and he thinks he knows it all. Yeah, ask him about Ali Dia, and he will like, and he will literally like shut the fuck up. Okay, he was conned by, uh, he was conned about that, but that's another conversation there too. But going off of that comment that he made, it pissed me off when I found that out. Um, uh, because 
we didn't just pro- start protesting now. Okay, there was a huge protest in the in a game, a Champions League tie against AC Milan back in 2010 when David Beckham first returned when David Beckham returned to Old Trafford, and we were pretty much at the height of our powers under Fergie in, the, in, in that era. We had come off three straight Premier League titles, a Champions League title two straight UC Champions League final appearances. And after that, we, we won another title and made, and made another Champions League final. But we didn't know that that was going to happen yet. You're trying so to we piss me off now? But, um, uh, sorry, but sorry. But the thing <laughs> is, though, is like, you know, I, had, I have to mention that because, like, we were successful under Ferguson. That proves Graham Sunis wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are pictures all over the internet. There's a picture of David Beckham, whole like wearing a green and gold scarf in support of the pro, in support of the protest that was happening in the game, in support of the fans because he knew about what was going on with the Glazers. And this was 11 years ago. And for Graham Sunis to say, "Oh, they never protested under Fergie. Fergie wouldn't have allowed this." Like, shut the fuck up. I am sorry, but Fergie like, enjoyed the protest. Yes, Bergie enjoyed it too. So, like, the fans have been agitated for years to come. Um, the boiling point came with the Super League, and Avram, Avram Glazer was actually found in uh, in Tampa and uh, and also in the Everglades, and he has been ignoring reporters left and right. I found out, and uh, he's a complete scumbag. Joel Glazer, I, nobody knows where he is, but. Um, uh, I saw something from Sky Sports today talking about maybe if the price was right and if something else happens, the Glazers may be convinced to sell. But I don't know I how doubt true that. that is. I doubt that. Oh, I doubt it too. I doubt it too. The Glazers will never sell. Unfortunately, as, long as, they live. as much as it sucks to say for United fans, I doubt we see that happen in the near future. Kroenke will sell Arsenal before the Glazers sell United. I think both. I think the whole family's gonna have to die off before one of those two sell. Uh, that's true too, probably. But it's an, uh, absolute, it's an absolute joke at how they treat this club. They don't care, like you said, they don't care about football. They care about the money and their name being put on that club. They don't give a shit about that club or those fans, and it shows. And it's an absolute joke, and it's a shame to bring that to the football. It's just, exactly. a, it's a shame. And exactly. I, I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm in the same boat as you are with Fenway. At least they handled it somewhat a little better. Yeah, Liverpool fans have not uh, have not uh, protested yet. Yeah, Fenway Sports um, but- handled handled this aftermath a little better, but it's still an absolute joke. I mean, like it, it just all boils down mainly. Clearly, both of our clubs have wanted our owners out for years, but now just the Super League thing just kind of pushed it to a tipping point, and now it's kind of like the inevitable that all this is going to happen. Exactly. It's all trickle-down effect, like you said. And, uh, I mean, I pretty much had everything I wanted to say there about that. I uh, just kind of wanted to get that off my chest. Um, now we're going to have your take on something, sir. Uh, it involves the P- and it involves the PGA. So we'll have Jake's take, everybody. What do you have to talk about in terms of the PGA and what's going on in the world of golf, sir? All right. So good on the PGA for this. This is actually uh, something that makes me kind of happy to see. I mean, golf is the hardest – golf, it's the hardest sport to make money in. I mean, you have like baseball. I mean, you look at Lindor right now, just signed this huge contract for over $300 million. Um, I think he's, as of Monday, he was over 21 in his last 21 bats, over 21 in a $3 million contract. Yeah, but he's still getting paid that money. Whereas golfers, you're playing against the top players in the world every single week. I don't care. The number one guy down to the 
fucking number 150 guy. They're all great golfers. And you are in golf. You are never, ever, ever guaranteed money unless most tournaments, it's if you make the cut. Other tournaments, you have to rank in like the top 50 or something. So, so the PGA has come out. Uh, they created a $40 million bonus pool, um, basically paying the players who represent the game. Um, so it's a lot that it goes into it. Like, so it's like how much views they got on social media, how much people look them up on Google. And it's basically them like giving them money for bringing people's eyes to the world of golf. Um, it, it's actually, I don't know how much you follow golf or not. Um, but it actually is in response to the world golf uh, group and the premier golf league. Um, because the premier golf league was going to come out and, uh, pay, like the top players in the world just to play against each other. But we kind of like, kind of like, I guess the, the European super league in some extent, whereas the PGL, they was going to get the top players in the world having played each other every week. And they were going to have like a lot of money. And they, I think they had like a, the PGL, they said they're gonna have like a $240 million total prize fund on those in the launch in January of next year. Uh, but the PGA come out with this new pool for players. So basically um, that's why you're going to, for most people who don't know this, you're going to see more golfers being active on Twitter, um, trying to get their name out there more because what the views go off is it's what their placement in is the FedEx rankings, how many Google searches they get, how active they are on social media. And there's some other little things, but you're going to be seeing players be able to get more money now because a lot of these players, you see guys who will, they're paying more money than they are than they're bringing in a year to play golf. So good on the PGA for that. I didn't have much about that. I didn't want to keep this rant too long. But, yeah, so they, they run this new pool now of money for people. Um, I saw they did, like, the statistics, and clearly Tiger Woods was number one, even though he wasn't ranked too highly in the FedEx rankings last year, but just because of his name and, like, how much people search him and, like, his social media and stuff. So just good on the PGA for that to realizing that these players need more money and they could lose their players because I know Rory McIlroy – um, he was actually one of the head guys that was going to be a part of the PGL, um, which I don't blame him because, like I said, like you're never guaranteed money in golf. You could go in like Dustin Johnson, who won the Masters last November, um, didn't even make the cut this year at Augusta, so he didn't get paid for the tournament. Yeah, no, exactly. Like these, players, these players, they rely on their sponsors and like advertisements and stuff. So good on the PGA for realizing that, realizing they need to get these players some more money somehow. So I'm good on them for that. No, yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt there. I mean, golf, you know, like you said, like you talked about there, I, 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 I follow golf, but not to an extent as much as I follow other sports. Um, uh, so this was new to me. I remember you talking to me about this as, as it was happening, and I found it very intriguing and interesting. And uh, I do like the idea for the PGA because, honestly, not only does it help the players, but the thing is, though, it also helps, exp- it also helps the brand of the PGA, too. Uh, especially in terms of players being more active on social media and having more Google searches because, you know, we're always used to talking about the Tigers and the Rory's and the Phil's and uh, the Spiefs and whatnot. But then you've also got some young and, young up, mm-hmm. young, uh, young and up and coming golfers too uh, and a lot of other golfers that nobody really knows about. So there was only, kind of, there's only one downfall of this is still the lower players probably aren't going to be making the money unfortunately, but I mean, it's you see all the, you see all these other sports, they sell their superstars, they get the more money. So, I mean, good on them for, it's a start. It's a start for the PGA. 
Yes, it's a start for the PGA. So on on, on an overall basis, it's pretty much a win-win. I don't see uh, anybody losing in this aspect at 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 all whatsoever. So you know, good for the game, good for the players to finally start making some more money for themselves on, in terms of uh, the PG being on the PGA tour and not just having to golf to earn some money either as well as also gain sponsorship money. And then also the PGA will also get brand awareness for their golfers as well. Um, uh, I don't, I'm not going to go mention in too much of this, but um, uh, Max Homa actually uh, currently on the PGA tour, he's very active on social media. Um, uh, and this was even before yes. this, uh, this uh, announcement was made. But uh, one of the things he likes to do is uh, he has videos sent to uh, sent to him uh, through uh, Twitter DMs and he rates uh, and he rates golf swings. And it's pretty hilarious, actually, because, mm-hmm. you, you know, he could actually like, you know, rate a golf swing like really, really well. Or he could just roast the fuck out of it and say, hey, that's fucking gar- dog shit garbage and you should never mm-hmm. step on a golf course again. So I do. That. So that's one thing I enjoy there. So He's a great follow on Twitter. He always gives people so much shit on Twitter. It's hilarious. Um, if you get the chance, he's a great follow. Um, if you're looking for a funny golfer to follow on Twitter, he's the guy. He's been doing this, like Jeremy said. He's been doing this before this was even announced. He's been always on Twitter, shit-talking people. Seems like a guy could go out, have a beer with, have a great time with. That's my kind of guy right there. And he actually just came in second or third this past weekend. Speaking of Homa. Yeah, exactly. So he's a good golfer and he's a good follow on Twitter. But um, – uh, yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good take there. What you brought up about uh, about the pool, about what the adjustments the PGA are making in terms of money. Uh, but I want to go into a little bit of hockey right now. Uh, just you know, a brief talk of a couple topics. Uh, the first one, uh, Ryan Miller last uh, Ryan Miller announced uh, announced that he's retiring at the end of the season. Uh, he played his last game at uh, the Honda Center for the Anaheim Ducks uh, uh, last week uh, in a six-two victory for the Ducks. Um, his last home game, uh, it is unclear if he will play any of the remaining uh, three games uh, that the Ducks have uh, in, their, in the regular season because they will not be making the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs at all. So Ryan Miller will be done once the regular season ends. Um, I just want to go into some quick stats about him real quick. Uh, 391 wins and 771 games started. The most wins by an American goaltender ever. He had 21,644 saves with a 2.64 goals against average and a, and a .914 save percentage, which actually is fifth all-time uh, fifth all time on the save percentage, save percentage list. I think too. you undercut him on the saves a little bit. What number did you say? I said 21,644. 23,669. Um, uh, oh, so the NHL, I did not update the NHL website um, uh, then. So I do apologize there. Uh, misinforming, uh, getting, giving you uh, giving you all your fake news, uh, the, the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast here. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, uh, you know, um, Ryan Miller. Stand, uh, Ryan Miller, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, in my not of all, of all time and of of this generation, honestly. Um, uh, Sabres legend. Um, yep. I honestly, the cornerstone and the face of the Buffalo Sabres for a good five to seven year stretch there. Um, I just so many memories of him watching him play and watching him in goal as a Sabres fan. Um, I really wish that Miller would came back to Buffalo for at least one more season. I knew that he was eventually going to retire, Fuck. but you know, I'm going to miss, I, I'm going to miss watching him. Um, uh, 
I just, fucked up as well. I'm sorry, Jeremy. You did not spread fake news. I spread fake news. I had his oh. shots against written down out of saves. You were correct on the saves. I had his shots oh, shit. against written The Lonely Heart Sports Podcast is spreading fake news. We apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> but um, uh, kick me from the podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Oh God, it's all good. It's all good. But um, uh, Ryan mm. Miller will truly be missed. Um, so, countless memories as uh, countless memories. Um, as a Sabres fan, watching him when I was growing up, um, honestly, you know the runs oh six oh five oh six oh six oh seven, and even uh, in twenty ten when he practically stood on his head in the twenty ten Olympics, everybody remembers that, uh, which uh, helped him uh, win the Vesna Trophy that season. Uh, practically carrying the U.S. men's national team to silver, sadly in gold in Vancouver. Um, uh, fuck you, Sidney Crosby, one for that. Away from gold. He went five hole on Miller. That's the one thing that pisses me mm. off. He went five hole in the shoot. That's the one thing about Miller that I did not like. Yeah. Crosby went five hole on him twice in the shootout mm. in the Winter Classic and in the gold medal game in 2010. Five hole both times. I'm still upset about it, but you know what? There, the game, the first game after the Olympics in 2010 was actually at Pittsburgh. So Lindy Ruff was an assistant coach on the gold medal winning Canadian side. And Ryan Miller was the MVP of the ice hockey tournament. And obviously Sidney Crosby had the gold was, was the gold medal winner scored the gold medal winning goal. Ryan Miller got the loudest cheers of any got cheers and the cheers were were extremely loud and Sidney Crosby got booed. Like <laughs> you would have thought that like you were you would have thought that the game was in Buffalo. I remember that game. It was in Pittsburgh yeah. because they were all pissed off that Crosby had won the gold medal for Canada, but they were all proud of Miller and what he had done for the uh, US men's Olympic team uh in terms of pretty much standing on his head there. Uh, and what really upset me about that though was that the trade deadline was coming up in 2010 and the ownership group of Tom Golisano and the leadership of Darcy Regeer did fucking nothing to improve the team and help make a playoff push, which really pissed me off because you had a stud goaltender standing on his head and he was carrying the team left and right in 2010. And it's, that still irks me to this day about that. Um, uh, almost as much as black Monday did, but that's another conversation for another day. But <laughs> Ryan Miller, kudos to you. Do you have any thoughts on Ryan Miller uh, before we go into our next topic on hockey, sir? Yeah, uh, one of the best, most most winningest American goaltender of all time, one of the best American goaltenders of all time, uh, Vesna Trophy winner, um, just an absolute stud, four-time All-Star, um, silver medal, like you said, silver medals in the Olympics, just a down-to-earth guy, did so much for the city of Buffalo in his 11 years here. Um, had just a stand-up guy, stand-up goalie. My, we were blessed to have him in Buffalo when we did. Um, M- Miller time was always a fucking show here in Buffalo. You yep. love man. Just congratulations him on a great career. Um, hope you finish off well in Anaheim. Um, I'm good for him, uh, his family, his wife, his uh, son. Um, go enjoy yourself out in Anaheim now for the last, for the rest of the, uh, Rest of the season, enjoy retirement. Um, hopefully, we see you back in Buffalo one day. Just swing by, say hello. Exactly. Um, great guy, Leno. Congratulations on a great career. Um, you have brought me so many memories from my childhood. 
Yeah. Um, just thank you again. They're not going to hear this, but thank you for everything you did for this city. Um, thankful, thank you for the joy you brought to me growing. We were very fortunate to see the Sabres that we did growing up, Jeremy, compared to what they are now. And just congratulations on a great career and enjoy oh, your retirement. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Congratulations on a, on a wonderful career. Um, uh, you know, stand up goaltender, one of the best of our generation. Um, if, like you said, Vesna Trophy winner, uh, countless memories as a Sabres fan. I shit, uh, we were blessed. We were blessed to have Ryan Miller in goal, the face of the franchise, in my opinion, for a good five to seven year stretch. I think, I think, is you think his number gets retired in Buffalo? His number should get retired in Buffalo. It nobody, should be, I believe. Nobody should ever wear third. Nobody should ever wear number third. Nobody's worn 30 since he left. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much a matter of when it gets retired, not if. Nobody will ever wear number 30 in Buffalo ever again. Um, uh, the only thing that really upset me, that kind of upsets me in a way, was uh, I – and this would be the last point before we go into our next topic. But I went to the uh, 2000s uh, night uh, celebration uh, against the Columbus Blue Jackets last season. They had honored the teams of the 2000s, primarily focusing on the runs of 05, 06, and 06, yeah. 07. And I have a poster that's hanging up in my apartment of, you know, players from that era, from that era. And right in the middle is Ryan Miller. So it just goes to show how important he was to the, not only the, the, Sabres, uh, the Sabres in those two seasons, but also in that era as a whole that uh, – you know, from that period when he first came on the scene up until the late, up until like into even into the up until the end of the 2000s, going into the 2010s. But I was upset that he could not come and be in attendance in, at the game. I don't know if Anaheim w- had a game that day or if they were traveling from an off day or yeah, if they were in the middle of the road trip. still in the NHL to come out here for that. But uh, he definitely deserves to be honored at some point here in Buffalo. I mean, he gave us 11 years. 284 wins here in Buffalo. So, I mean, just come to Buffalo, get your celebration you deserve. I really hope they retire his jersey. I, I hope one day he's a Hall of Famer. He, he he'll, should be he'll, he'll at least be in the North American Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes. I can't say if he'll be in the Ho- Hockey Hall of Fame, but he deserves to be. He deserves to be. We'll see what happens down the road, sir. But uh, our next hockey, to- hockey topic I want to move on to is uh, – the, the case of Tom Wilson. Oh, fucking scumbag. The, the case of the notorious goon that can't win a fight to save his life, Tom Wilson. Okay, let me go into it first about what had recently happened just a couple days ago against the New York Rangers. This man sucker punches Pavel Buchnetovich and body slams Artemi, Artemi Panarin to the ground. Artemi Panarin is out for the season now, will miss the final three games because of what happened with Tom Wilson. The, the league fines him only the, the maximum, according to the CBA, to $5,000. Fucking joke. Which is a fucking joke right there. Okay? The Rangers are not happy about what happens. They release a statement uh, condemning the actions of the National Hockey League and also calling out George Peros, who is the director of player safety of the National Hockey League, who is a former goon, by the way, back in the day. And pretty much right now, hockey is not in a good place because people are divided on this. People, I don't know why people are divided on this. I feel like, you know, okay, Tom Wilson's a goon. Goons should play. That, that's, what the, that's what one half is saying. But that's not the case here. 
Tom Wilson is not just a normal goon. Tom Wilson is a fucking scumbag who should not be in the league. And that's and what the, the problem rest is, of- too. He's had fucking incidents before. This is what pisses me off. Oh, yeah. With not to give the guy a fucking sussy and we fucking find him five grand. That's basically a fucking slap on the wrist for guys. That's a fucking joke. But I play your safety in the NHL. I mean, it's an absolute fucking – it makes the league look like a fucking joke. The I get is, hockey is supposed to be tough, but Panarin's out for the rest of the season now because of this fucking scumbag. Sorry, oh, exactly. this, this, this topic makes me heated. I'm sorry for getting so mad. No, you're, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I just want to go into it. You talk about he has a history of this. Let's go into it real quick. It's 2017. Two po- he gets suspended and uh, he gets suspended two preseason. Uh, he gets suspended in two preseason games for a hit uh, on Blues forward Robert Thomas. Um, uh, he avoided discipline up until 2017, uh, up until 2017, just to point that out. Um, uh, and on October 1st, uh, 2017, he gets suspended for four games for boarding another blues player. Then we go into 2018, three playoff games he suspended for, for an illegal check to the head of Zach Aston Reese of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Then during game one of the 2018 cup final, he avoided a suspension for what people believed was a late hit on Jonathan Marchessault of the Vegas Golden Knights. Ryan Reeves eventually retaliated uh, with the check on Wilson that left him with the concussion. Um, now we're going to go into where he was suspended 20 games for a preseason hit on Oscar Sundquist, um, uh, where it, it was eventually reduced to a 14 games via an appeal. And honestly, at that point, you've got to realize that this guy's got history and something needs to be done about it. But no, the league doesn't give a fuck then. They don't give a fuck now. Um, uh, I mean, the guy, the guy is too good of a hockey player to be doing this. I mean, most of the times you see goons, they, they can't do shit on the ice. Tom Wilson is, is a good hockey player. I mean, yes, be tough, get in the fights, Hockey, hockey need to be tough. Fights are part of the game, but not all this bullshit that he does. I mean, it's a fucking joke. And this, the, the no suspension absolutely kills me. I no. thought it was going to be indefinite. I thought he was going to be gone this season. But no, just five thousand dollars is an absolute joke. So I mean, like, well, like well, you're, his- you're literally listing, like, you're listing off his history, and nothing comes out of it. I mean, we're the well, common hockey watch when we fucking see this. Well, what, what kills me, too, is that earlier in the season, literally two months prior, he was suspended seven games for a hit on Brandon Carlo of the Boston Bruins. Yep. Like, why are you suspending him one time for a hit? But then also, like, he sucker punches some. He 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 sucker punches Pavel Buchnanovich. He throws Artemi Panarin to the ground and sucker punches him, too, when he doesn't even have a helmet on. He's pulling Panarin by the hair. And then you've got the director of play, player safety saying, here, uh, $5,000 fine. Some yeah. retired goon that doesn't know his head from his ass, if you ask me. And honestly, and this topic does upset me too a little bit, but I figured like we need to talk about it a little bit. But he needs to get out of the league right now. And, and honestly... And honestly, right now, it kind of upsets me, like what's going, like what's going on, in terms of him. Uh, in terms of it, I'm honestly upset. Um, I don't understand like why the league has fucked this up so bad. I can see like why hockey Twitter, hockey social con- media, and hockey fans in general are just completely upset at what's going on. The Rangers and 
Capitals are also playing tonight as we're recording this episode. So it's going to be interesting to see the retaliation, retali- retaliation to Tom Wilson, maybe mainly like if Ryan, like Ryan Reeves hit, like I said, back in 2019. But this whole thing is really annoying. Um, and hockey isn't in a good place for it right now. I understand that hockey, you know, tries to have the enforcers still, but they also talk about player safety. And if you have situations like this that aren't being addressed properly, then the rain, then something needs to happen. Um, whether or not like the player director of player safety gets ousted and replaced with somebody that's competent or with somebody that actually knows what they're doing, or maybe you just kick Tom Wilson out of the league once and for all, honestly, because it's just kind of annoying as to what's going on. Uh, clearly this man has a history. Clearly nobody, clearly somebody should put a stop to this one way or another, but uh, that, that that's my two cents on, on that right there. Um, I just want to go into some quick final thoughts before we get ready to conclude the podcast. Unless you have something else that you want to talk about. Um, no, just the, like everything you said is true. And just the no sussy for the guy kills me. I mean, not even the rest. You could have given him the rest of the season, given him in the playoffs. Fuck, he deserved it. But nope, not that. But I do have one more thing um, before we wrap up, if that's all right with you. Yeah. Congratulations to Michael House. What an absolute story this is. The guy, the Buffalo Sabres goaltender. Michael Hauser. Well, his nickname's House. Yes, Michael House. Yes, Michael yep. House Hauser. Yes, um, he is an absolute beauty. This guy comes in, gets his first NHL start, gets the win. Um, plays again last plays night. In the second game last night has forty five saves and a shutout win. I mean, guy's an absolute fucking beauty. Heard some stories about him. I uh, listened to several po- hockey podcasts. Supposedly, the guy is a degenerate gamble gambler and loves to have a few drinks after his games. Fun fact for you guys, he has a Bud Light tattoo or yeah, Bud Light tattoo on his ass as well. <laughs> That's wonderful. But yes, Michael Househauser, um, congratulations to him. Journeyman goaltender. He uh stopped eight different teams in nine years and now he, he stopped, does this. He stopped uh 82 shots. He won he won both of his games that he played. Um what sucks is that there was nobody in attendance to actually see these games. Um, uh, I'm sure that his parents and his family would have loved to see that in person, but, uh, they do, the Sabres do end the season in Pittsburgh and his parents do live in Pennsylvania, uh, close to the Pittsburgh area. So maybe they can be in attendance, uh, if he plays against the Penguins, but, uh, 82 saves, a, sh- a shootout win yesterday, um, uh, in the second game, he won his first game too. Um, and honestly, Michael Hauser, goaltender like number six that we've had this season, and he played better than Carter Hutton. Yeah, see you, Carter. I mean, yeah, see you, Carter. Um, congratulations to that guy. Hopefully, Granado gives him a start in at least one of the games, like you said. He is from Pittsburgh. Uh, they're allowed fans there. Get his friends and family in the stadium. Um, they haven't seen him play an NHL game. Like you said, the guy's been a journeyman. Been in the league nine years now. He's been on eight different teams. Finally gets his first start. And what a debut it was for the kid. What a second night it was. It's unreal. Um, so he sent a text message to his mom, actually, um, the night that he started. His first start, all he said was, I'm starting tonight. That's th- three simple words he sent to his mom. The guy's a fucking beauty. Congratulations to him. Um, hopefully he gets to see the ice once in Pittsburgh. Let his family see him. It'll be a great story for sure. Um, give Granado the contract now. The guy has 
been unreal for the Sabres right now. Um, make some moves in the offseason. We'll come back stronger next year, boys. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right. Uh, off of that, uh, all that hockey talk, like I said, just want to conclude with some uh, quick final thoughts before we go, before we officially conclude this uh, latest episode of the podcast. Um, a little basketball talk here. The New York Knicks are back, everybody. They are currently the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. They uh, have a record of 37 and 28 with a 569 winning percentage. They have officially clinched a winning season for the first time in eight years since the 2012-2013 season. They look poised to make the playoffs for the first time since then as well. They won They won nine straight at one point. They won 12 in their last 13. Their only loss coming against the top-seeded uh, Suns in the Western Conference. They could potentially win 13 of their last 14 or 12 of their last 14, depending on how their upcoming game against the Nuggets goes. But... Good for the Knicks. Good for Tom Thibodeau. Good for Julius Randle. He looks. Uh, everybody's saying he looks like an MVP candidate. Uh, very underrated. Very underrated MVP caliber style season. Um, good for Derrick Rose too, revitalizing his career in New York. Uh, always been a Tom Thibodeau player. Uh, so that move clearly clearly worked out there. New York basketball looks to be back at the expense of the New York Yankees, sadly. But uh, I, I, the Yankees you know, have won four in a row, though. The Yankees have won four in a row, though. But that's the running joke that I have. Uh, the Knicks had to be good. The Yankees had to be bad for the Knicks to be good. You can, it's like you know you give Which up some. You you give some, you win some you lose some exactly. But the Knicks look but the Knicks look like they're back, everybody. Um, uh, off of that, uh, off of that though, we are geniuses. Um, I just want to say that on the last episode of that we recorded, I told, I, we said it never go against the Bob Baffert horse. And lo and behold, a Bob Baffert horse, Medina spirit won the Kentucky Derby. I just want to shout out uh, ourselves for being geniuses because <laughs> well, lo and behold, we are. Um, uh, so if you need predictions, Come to us for your come to us for those. Listen to what we have to talk about because we're geniuses. I also want to shout out some degenerate gamblers that I know and love um, that bet on Medina Spirit to win the Kentucky Derby. So shout out to them. One of them had told me that they had bet that they won sixty five dollars on Medina Spirit. Uh, I also want to shout out some some degenerate gamblers that I know that bet against Medina Spirits because what did I say? Never go against the Bob Baffert horse. If we're uh, shouting if we're shouting out some gamblers, I'd like to shout out uh, my dad Dave. Uh, one, he picked the three horse, the top three horses in the race, and won a nice chunk of change. Yeah, Just shout out all to, three. Yeah, shout out to Dave. Uh, shout out to a friend of, a friend of the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast, Brad Isadorzak. He was the one that uh, won the sixty five dollars on Medina Spirit. Uh, his brother Nick. Oh, he's a high roller. <laughs> his brother Nick didn't do so well. Lost all his bets. Uh, but Ooh, okay. that's what happens when you go against the podcast and and Bob Baffert. But um, uh, so one a uh, couple more final thoughts here. Uh, I saw a few days ago that Floyd Mayweather is going to be taking on Logan Paul in, in an exhibition boxing match, and Chad Johnson, the former wide receiver for the Bengals, is going to be on the undercard. Um, first off, I just <laughs> I, didn't, say, I didn't see that. That's first off. I just want to say that's a fucking joke to the sport of boxing, but you bet your ass I'm gonna find a way to watch that shit just for the comic comic effect of it. I am putting the house on Floyd. I'm putting the house on Floyd, and I'm putting the house on Chad Johnson on his in his undercard fight. All right, there you go. There's there's another two hot bets from uh the, the lonely sport or lonely hearts podcast. 
Yeah, so you want to the- go get the checkbook out now? Tell your mom you need her credit card number. Better, <laughs> <laughs> better, boys. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You heard it here first. And then final thoughts here before we conclude the podcast. The Buffalo Blue Jays are back, everybody. Ooh. Earlier, to- earlier today, earlier today, the Blue Jays announced that effective June first, the Blue Jays will be playing the rest of their games in Salem Field in Buffalo, New York. Um, they will have right now. 24% capacity, which is approximately about 4,000 fans. Those numbers are subject to change, though, depending on every how everything with COVID goes. New, everything is looking on the up and up in New York State. So hopefully as the season progresses, more and more fans will be allowed to go to the game. Um, I know that I was talking with some friends about potentially going to a game or two. Yeah, I was um, my buddy has tickets to the Yankees game already when the Yankees are here. How that happened? They, uh, I'm intrigued at that. I'm intrigued at how that happened. I know that officially tickets won't be on sale his, until May 10th. So his what? He dad, his dad knows a guy inside that he's saving oh. him. Oh, good shit, good shit. Um, uh, I don't know if I can say that out loud, but yeah, that's happening. Oh, oh that's <laughs> happening. Well, yeah, well, whatever. You know, it is what it is there. But um, uh, yeah, Buffalo Blue Jays are back. Hopefully the blue, uh, hopefully the Blue Jays actually come out with some official Buffalo Blue Jays merch this time around. Um, like I said, I was talking to some friends. We're looking into going to a game or two. Uh, I talked to my dad earlier today about it. Uh, he want, He's talking about going to a game or two. So exciting times uh, in Buffalo sports uh, with the uh, Blue Jays coming back. Um, uh, maybe we'll, maybe the Buffalo Blue Jays will win something before the Buffalo Sabres do. Maybe, which we, can will go, be maybe pretty- we can do a Lonely Hearts meet and greet at one of the games if we get there. <laughs> Lonely Hearts Sports Podcast on location at the Buffalo Blue Jays. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I have to come up from Rochester after work, so that's gonna be that's gonna be Call tough. Maybe, work. maybe potentially, <laughs> potentially. I like the idea, sir. That that's another thought for the podcast. But I don't have any other final thoughts. So, do you have any final thoughts, sir? No, just another nice podcast with you. Always nice talking to you every week. I hope everyone's enjoying the podcast so far. We definitely got more coming for you guys. So stay tuned. Thank you for everyone who tunes in, Jeremy. Thanks. Thank you for being a great co-host. Yeah. Without a doubt, sir, I appreciate you being my co-host as well. That concludes today's episode of the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast. You can listen and subscribe to the Lonely Heart Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Lonely Heart Sports Podcast. And until then, everybody, just keep on rocking in the free world. <laughs>